Joey Manessis, no. walk off three run digger. Stop it. <laughs> walk off three run shot. Oh my gosh. Meg, he's the best player in baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 2078 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Meg Rowley of Fangraphs. Hello, Meg. Hello. You will notice that I said episode 2078. It has come to my attention. A a crisis has come to my attention. Oh, no. You did the intro last time. Yeah. It was episode 2077. Oh, boy. Did I say the wrong thing? You said 2076. Well, guess what was at the top of the episode deal, Bob? It, it may very well have been my fault who's, for writing whose 2076. Fault is that? That's your fault, Ben. <laughs> so what do we do? I, I, don't I feel know. like what do, I, I don't know that we've encountered this problem before. I don't know. We're, yeah. We've entered a slipstream. You know? I know. It feels like we've created a branching timeline oh, or something. It's just everything spiraling. Like a, I'm watching Loki right now. It, it feels like the temporal loom is overloaded. We we need to prune a branch where effectively Wild went off into the wrong episode number now. And mm, I don't know what any of that means, but yeah, I believe you. <laughs> there's there's like a Ben and a Meg who are now continuing on from, from 2076 into their own separate effectively wild timeline where there will just be a different 2077 over there and and this is 2078 i i don't know i don't know what to do i mean we could go back and re-record it and fix it yeah that we don't confuse future effectively wild listeners yeah or it could just be a little easter egg for everyone who knows (laughs) for all i know this has happened before and i just forgot or (laughs) never knew it i just happened to see someone mention it in our patreon discord group because uh they're sharp listeners so yeah I mean, um, I want to establish a couple of things, uh, the first of which is that it is your fault. Um, (laughs) Okay, I accept responsibility. I mean, that's not particularly fair of me, though, because Mm -hmm. I could I could keep it straight if I, you know, thought about it. But I I didn't. That'd be a lot to ask, I think, for you to to see that I wrote 2076 in the recording thing and say, actually, I know. Intro. Yeah, I just went and checked. But. Wow. What do we even, you know, like, what do we, so, so to be clear, what episode are we in? (laughs) This is, see, see, this is why it's a crisis. This This is is 2078 now. That is, that is the real episode, right? Yeah. So it's like 2077 never happened. I mean, but it did. (laughs) I think we should leave it because, um, you know, years from now, someone is going to be like, oh my God, what did they do? And then the next episode, they're going to be like, they got it. They caught it. They knew. They yeah. they realized what happened. What if we get emails for the rest of our lives? People looking for twenty seventy seven, and they're like, "Was this twenty seventy seven? Am I sure they said twenty seventy six? Maybe. Yeah, won't it be nice if you, you are projecting a future in which the podcast uh, lives mm-hmm. forever, yeah. and um, people are still engaging with it years after the fact? I don't see any downside to that, Ben. I feel like yeah. everything's coming up, Ben and Meg. If that's the reality that we're living in, you know. All right. Well, just in case anyone was confused, 
The last one was 2077. Probably no one was because it says it on the episode title. Right. So that's probably sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, I don't know that mm. this has ever happened before. And we've been doing this show for so long oh, yeah. that uh, I'm just I'm rocked to my core. Yeah. So, so here we are. We'll we'll somehow try to move forward. I don't. I don't mean to put so much blame on you, Ben. I mean, like I, I didn't. I didn't notice. I could have noticed. I could have been like, mm, is no, that right? I'll fall on my sword here. I wrote mm-hmm. twenty seventy six. It's intro. Uh, it, yeah. It's I, me. I. I. <laughs> man. I am. I'm not sure what to do now. Well, <sighs> we'll just muddle forward as best we can. And I guess. I did want to ask you something else that I saw in our Patreon Discord group. I was actually going there to refresh my memory about what the person said, and then I was confronted Mm. by this shocking, shocking lapse on our parts, or at least mine. But the question— Look, look, it's on both of our parts. It's just that if we're, like, apportioning the blame, it's like a 75-25 sort of situation, I think. I'm not blameless. (laughs) I'm just not blameful, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, So Tex, listener, Patreon supporter, wants to know, what's a World Series drought? Oh, What qualifies as a drought? Mm. You'd think that we would have talked about this at some point, but I don't know that we have. Yeah. Maybe we did in, in some secret episode on the other timeline. <laughs> but, but In the slipstream. <laughs> didn't see an email about this in our email database. So when can we say that a team has a World Series drought? This was prompted by Tex reading the Athletic Windup newsletter, which mm. referred to a Diamondbacks World Series drought mm. being old enough to drink. Mm. And Tex was not convinced that they're in a drought. Mm. Would you say that the Diamondbacks are in a drought, not having won since 2001? Well, I mean, technically the entire state of Arizona is <laughs> yeah, in a drought. You're, um, you're always out <laughs> in a drought out there, I guess. Very dry here right mm-hmm. now. But I am comfortable with calling it a drought on the part of the Diamondbacks. I think that once you get into integers where you might commemorate the the distance and say this is the X anniversary of the thing. And I'm not talking about like, you know, your early your early anniversaries were like paper and I don't know, leather goods, uh, <laughs> jam. I don't I don't know what the anniversaries are are involved. But once you get to like 15, 20, you know, once once uh the f- the thing could be if it were um, through our slipstream technology constituted into a person could vote or drink or uh, rent a car without penalty, then I, I think it's a drought. I'm comfortable with that. Look, just because some franchises go entire lifetimes between World Series rings doesn't mean that we have to limit the the suffering to their mm-hmm. fan bases. I think that if you're, you know, if you're a D-backs fan, 2001 feels like a long time ago, you know, although, you know, some of the first pitch people are the same. So we're <laughs> forever on a loop. Um, yeah, it does feel like a long time ago. It yeah. will forever live in my nightmares, but it does feel right. like a long time ago. Yeah, And I guess we can safely say that the Rangers are in a drought. Or I, can you be no, in a drought if, I disagree. if there was never water? Because there have to have been water at some Correct. point. Correct. So what is it then? I don't think that you can be in a drought if you have not previously won a ring. You know, huh. the Mariners are not in a drought. They were in a playoff drought because they'd been right. in playoffs. But, Correct. But okay. they're not in a World Series drought. They don't. They don't deserve that. You know. 
It's like so much feistier than I really had feeling for right now. It's like Mars, right? There there once was water. It once was lush and and fertile. And and now it's uh, just, you know, parched and dry. Right. But but it never was lush and right. fertile for the Mariners of the Rangers World Series wise. So not right. not a drought. So it's just right. uh it's not Sahara. a is it a, is, is it a streak? Is it a it's just an ofer? It's just I don't know what do you call it if it's not a drought? Third circle of hell. I don't I don't know, man. Like <laughs> curse. I don't know what to call it. I have to think about that for a moment. But I do feel very very confident that it's not a drought because it it that denotes an absence of a thing that didn't exist, like, ever, you know? Like, is the Sahara Desert ever in a drought condition? Now, parts of Arizona are, are, are desert, to be clear. And so you might say, hey, Mick, haven't you just hoisted yourself on your own petard because you just said that the D-backs are literally in a drought? And I always tell you that sometimes the state is not in a drought condition. doesn't happen very often, and it certainly seems like it's resurging this year. But there is sometimes water here. Whereas, like, you know, in the Sahara, I'm sure there's some rainfall. We're going to get emails about that, too. But, like, it, it it feels disingenuous to say, did you know the Sahara's in a drought condition? Yeah. It's the Sahara. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. It's, it's a desert. That's it's a perfect. Big, yeah. It's, it's a, a big desert. desert. It's a title desert. It's desert. a championship desert. Yes. Right. Yeah. I think that's That's better. just the, the permanent state, at right. least, like, on human timescales. <laughs> right? right. So, okay. All right. Well, then the definition of a drought, though, see Texas case for the Diamondbacks not being in a drought. He said, I'm not convinced that you're in a drought if the number of years since you last won the World Series is lower than the total number of teams in the league. So in the Diamondbacks case, it's been 22 years since they won a World Series, but the Uh chance of winning in any given year, assuming all teams are equally skilled, of course, is 1 in 30. If they win this year, they're outperforming the baseline odds. So that's his case for it not technically entering the drought period yet. But it's a big honk and long time, you know? The thing about it is, and the baseline odds in any given year aren't 1 in 30. Right. Because all teams aren't equally talented. Yes, right. This is a tough one. I think it feels it feels droughtish to me. It feels long enough to yeah. say it's a drought. And so yeah. you will have more teams in a state of drought, I, I guess, mm-hmm. than, you know, that, that one in 30 would suggest. Right. But, but I think that's okay. Someone else, Xander, suggested... I think it should be when your odds of winning a World Series in that time frame are 50-50, like the expected rate of World Series wins is one every 30 years, but it's 50% that you win one over 20 or 21 years. Mm. So so that's – but then Tex responded and said that makes sense, but at least colloquially, drought suggests something more extreme than the chance of a coin coming up heads. So right. if the rainfall in my area is 48th percentile over the long-term average, I don't think I'd call that a drought year. Apparently, meteorologists can't really decide on what a drought is either. They're like types of drought and gradations of drought. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe we just need to get more specific and drill down on the droughts. So you've got your agricultural droughts and your hydrological droughts and your socioeconomic droughts and your mm-hmm. ecological droughts. So maybe it has to be a certain type of drought. But but if it is old enough that you could be a, a fully-fledged adult right. and have grown up rooting for that team and not 
have been alive during yeah. their last championship. That feels like a drought to me. It feels fairly droughtish to me. It feels droughtish to me. You know, it feels like a, you know, we want to put some rigor around our definitions, even when they are largely about feelings. But like, this is mostly a feeling sort of vibes mm-hmm. sort of situation. You know, mm-hmm. five years, that's not a drought. 10 years, even not a drought. 15, you're like flirting with a drought. 20, mm-hmm. I think you can start to call it a drought. I was home in Seattle in September and I saw the, the Seahawks play the Panthers and they celebrated the 10-year anniversary of their Super Bowl win. And I was like, this feels amateurish to me. It's, like, nice to see all these guys. And, you know, you want people to, like, experience accolades while they're alive. So I guess that maybe that's part of the thing. But I was like, we, we don't have to do this. We don't have to mm-hmm. do the 10-year. We should do, like, the 20-year. The you know, you should, in theory, it should be, like, um, the horizon, right? Where it's, like, you're always, I don't know. It's not like the horizon at all. But anyway, you should just win a bunch of championships if you possibly can. But like 10 mm-hmm. years, it's too, that's nothing. You know, people like have pets the, for that long, you know, like, mm-hmm. and they don't live forever, sadly. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I, it feels 20 is, 20 is fine. That's, it's droughty. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's droughty, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, is, is drought relative to the franchise's level of success? Are the Yankees in a title drought because they haven't won since 2009, which is an eternity for Yankees fans, or at least they feel like it is? I refuse to acknowledge that because um, that is indulging attention-seeking behavior, and we'd (laughs) all be well-served to do less of that as a society, you know? So it's like their ground has been so saturated by titles that that the water table is high or the groundwater or whatever. I don't live in the West. I don't know these terms, (laughs) but, but, but... You know, there's enough moisture still around that that they're not in a drought, even though they're accustomed to really having it be pretty, pretty wet out there World Series wise. I regret that phrasing on your behalf. Yeah, me too. But but they feel parched, I'm sure. Yeah. But but other fan bases would feel like this is normal or like <laughs> the high. We haven't come down from the high yet of when we won that year, right? Because mm-hmm. it's our only one. So yeah. maybe it's maybe it's relative. If you grew up, like if I were still a Yankees fan, I I I might feel like, gosh, this is a drought because when I was growing up, they won every year. <laughs> so that was kind of my baseline. <sighs> I. Don't want to make fun of your emotional pain, Ben, because that's not kind, and I like it. We're friends, but um, you know, uh, Yankees fans have to relax. Like you, you guys just have to chill out a little bit. You're fine. You're fine. You know, let that in. Let it in that you're fine, because you're fine. You're doing fine. You're doing so good. Mm-hmm. There are people okay. who there are people who take as long as it has been since the the Yankees won a World Series, to, like finish their PhD. You know, mm-hmm. like. What are, what are we talking about here? Ever since you made an offhand comment a few minutes ago about what the traditional gifts are for each oh, yeah. anniversary, I've been trying to figure out who decides that, and I have not gotten to the bottom of it yet. Emily who? Post. I don't know. <laughs> who decides? Tiff- Tiffany and Co. It's like, probably some very long dead English and or French person yeah. who we would be horrified to talk to in modern times. We don't really need, I don't think, an anniversary gift, a designated gift for every increment of years. 
I don't think we necessarily need that. I, I have occasionally looked it up and been like, that's the gift? Who says? <laughs> Why is that the official thing? Right. Why would I even want that? Like seven, seven year is, is copper and wool. Those are the traditional. Mm. And it just says it so matter of factly. Oh, yeah, copper and wool. They're the traditional seven year anniversary gift. Victorian tradition. That feels right. Oh, okay. So did they just map out every. I wonder how high it goes. <sighs> I need to know more about oh, this. Oh, yeah. I mean, are we at a point where we are perhaps. Um, exceeding the parameters because people live longer than they used to? Maybe, yeah. Oh, well, huh. and then they got revised, you know. That's the other thing is that there's like a, there are the traditional ones and then there are like more modern ones that people seem to ascribe to. Associating mm -hmm. a wedding anniversary with precious metals such as gold or silver has been documented in Germanic countries since the 1500s. In English-speaking countries, the tradition of associating gift-giving with wedding anniversaries became more prevalent in the 19th century. In the 20th century, increased commercialization led to the inclusion mm -hmm. of more anniversaries to a list of predetermined gifts. Yeah, This is I like was, a right, British royal thing. I knew that they were <laughs> I, I knew it. Uh, this, I knew it. This smacked of Valentine's Day and and creating a, an opportunity for gift giving. This felt to me like MLB having an official sponsor of of every item, right? Or the official partner of MLB, and sometimes uh -huh. they have multiple ones and they somehow split it. This felt to me like somehow there was some kind of consortium, and they all got together and they're like, "We gotta get." this year so that we can sell some stuff on that year and maybe they're they're angling for the better years that you you actually get to and maybe there's a draft or something and there's there is some bartering and and haggling over who gets what year cuz some would be more lucrative than others but i think there must be an upper limit cuz i just googled what is the 63rd anniversary gift yeah. just to see if there was a a 63rd and the first result i got is a vacation is a very good anniversary gift idea for any couple. <laughs> so yeah. I guess not enough people make it to 63 for there to be an official 63 or the couple might enjoy items they can use at home. Well, that's not nice. Are you saying that that the 63rd anniversary people can't, can't go out? They're spending all their time at home? I thought they were taking a vacation. Anyway, there doesn't seem to be a designated official 63rd anniversary gift. Hmm. Well, I think you get to a certain point where you start taking it in increments of five. Maybe. That is what Wikipedia seems to indicate. Makes sense to me. <laughs> it was decided by the official anniversary gift foundation back. It was handed down on a stone tablet or possibly a copper and wool tablet if it was the seventh anniversary. Copper and wool tablet. Anyway. Should we, should we answer some emails? I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know what episode we're in. I don't know, I know. what anything I've, means. I'm disconnected knew... from time and space because yeah. I haven't slept and it's Friday, but also because <laughs> we have we had a mishap with our intro mm, and it just threw us off our game. So let's answer some emails because we've got a game coming up in a few hours. We, so we can't really talk about the World Series because that game will have transpired and uh, we don't want to be out of date. So right. let's just do some timeless evergreen emails okay. and maybe some of them will be playoff themed. All right. Here's one from Andrew, Patreon supporter, who says, 
I was thinking about the concept of teams being able to take one player away from a team they eliminate Mm -hmm. in the postseason to keep for the rest of the playoffs. I believe this is something you discussed on the pod a long time ago. I believe that's true. My question is this. If that were a rule, you could take one player from any team you eliminate from the postseason. Would teams prefer a buy in the best of three wildcard series as the top two in each league received now, knowing the team they play will be able to add an extra player. So would the Orioles, this was uh, maybe sent at the beginning of the playoffs, mm. would the Orioles rather play in the first round against Texas, giving the bye to the Rays, knowing if they win, they can add Corey Seager or Adolis Garcia or whoever, or would they mm. rather guarantee the spot in the divisional series, knowing that they're going to play a souped-up Rays or Rangers team? And I wonder how great the potential addition is, how much that would affect the decision. If somehow the Angels made the postseason, would a team be more likely to want to play if they could add a peak and healthy Otani or Trout, as opposed to, say, this year's Marlins, where the biggest prize would be Luis Arise or Jesus Luzardo? So you can only add um, a player from a team you yourself eliminate? Is that yes. what yes. I'm given to understand here? So they're saying, would you would you rather take the bye knowing that the team that you're going to play will have leveled up because because they will have beaten someone and they will have plundered their roster for their most talented player. And so you'll be playing a better version of that team, but you will have gotten a bye. So you won't right. have had to play that first round. My instinct is that you would still rather take the bye because it's not that adding another really great player isn't valuable. It's, of course, valuable. But baseball isn't an individual sport. And so let's think about what you might do. So you could either add their best position player, and maybe that's a meaningful upgrade on your lineup. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not like that person gets to bat all the time or even when you want them to. So mm-hmm. that's a thing to consider. If you add a really dynamic starter well presumably they pitched in the wild card so you're not going to get them right away in your series oh maybe your problem is you're the rangers and you're like i want to play a team that has a great bullpen because then i can pluck a reliever and that guy might be the most useful just in terms of how often you can use him you can deploy him when you want to Mm -hmm. uh and availability wise probably around and useful right away because of, you know, the travel days that are associated with the wild card. So maybe like that's engaging to you. But if you don't play in the wild card, you get to rest. <laughs> yeah. You get to rest. You get to reset your rotation, right? Mm-hmm. You get to you get make a nice sure, long layoff, which you get a no nice one is ever layoff. bothered by. You right. Know. You get to um, have your best starters presumably going as often as possible because of the, the time off, which I think is probably on average going to be um, the most valuable to you. And you are playing a team that while they have added talent has themselves had to expend some of their rotation strengths in the prior series is mm-hmm. tired potentially or at least more tired than you are so i i still think you would rather take the buy but Mm -hmm. i could very easily envision specific scenarios where you know you have such a particular 
deficiency to strength matchup with a guy that maybe you think about it, but I still think you'd probably rather have the buy. Does that feel yep. like a I think you reasonable? Yeah, one? I yeah. think you take the buy. <laughs> yes. You take the buy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Despite the whole conversation about buys and layoffs this postseason, there's no player good enough no. to improve your odds. Right. And and granted, I guess uh, their talent is being added to your opponent, but but still, right. just to be able to skip that first round, which is yeah. not quite a coin flip, but pretty close, right? right? Like that player is not going to improve your odds by that much or hurt your odds that much if they're playing against that team. Like your your chances playing the souped up super powered team that now has the best player from from the team that it defeated are still going to be better than if you had to play that first round and get right. by that and then also continue on even with right. a a prize that you plucked from from the right. carcass of that roster that you defeated. So, so yeah, there's no way. And I, I guess mentioning Trout and Otani was instructive in this question potentially sure. because uh, they are kind of the go-to example for right. this is how baseball works. Right. It's not enough to be a super-duper star, and that's not enough to make your team good. It can make your team better, but it's not enough. So, yeah, even if you somehow had a – sub-replacement level player at some position, which isn't going to happen that often if you're a playoff team at the end of the year, and there was the best player in baseball at that position that you could take, it still would not be worth it. Yeah, I think think that that's right. All right. Question from Michael, Patreon supporter. Have you ever explored the hypothetical baseball variant – don't talk to me about variants. I'm already worried about effectively wild podcast variants with with yeah. uh, different episode numbers where a team's manager chose his starters, but the opposing team's manager set their batting order. There are all sorts of interesting analytical and strategy questions invoked. The first and most obvious being what is the worst possible batting order? I assume people have looked at this, but I couldn't find anything about it. What would the run environment be in the scenario? Then there are the questions of how do you pick players to minimize the ability of the opposing manager to create a bad lineup for you and whether you would deploy your pitching staff in a different way. So you get to pick the starters and then you just have to hand over your lineup card and they can rearrange it however they want and and they can have the most suboptimal lineup possible. My understanding, you tell me if your understanding is different, Ben, but my understanding is that while you obviously want to have your best hitters hit the most often, and thus they should be closer to the top of your lineup than the bottom, over the, I mean, in a single game, it's going to maybe matter more than over the course of the season. Like, it doesn't, haven't we determined that, like, lineup order isn't Mm -hmm. that impactful? Like, it's not nothing, clearly. Yeah. You know, if you're in this scenario, right, and you're the Astros and you have handed your lineup to, well, maybe then you end up starting Yanir Diaz more often because you want to minimize how often Martin Maldonado is just batting one first, <laughs> you know, because he'd just yeah. be at the top. You would just yeah. put that guy at the top. And it, again, would it be that big? A, no, but like it would matter you know it would certainly matter because why are why is he getting so many at bats ben why did he get so many at bats he gets so dusty we have a tremendous amount of respect for you but like that was 
It was flummoxing. Happy so, trails. Enjoy your retirement. You've earned yeah. it. <laughs> but I wonder, Ben, is there a scenario where you, how do we think about substitutions? How could you, if you're the manager, maximize yeah. substitutions, right? Do you put the guy in who sucks knowing that you can just pinch it for him after yeah, his first? I don't know. It's not clear to me if if you have that power. I guess if you mm. have that power, then you could just hand him your scrubs and right. then pinch it for everyone. Not that everyone has that many bench players or right. if, unless you can count pitchers or something who aren't right. going to play and you can just stack the light up. That would defeat the purpose of this whole exercise. I'm right. not sure what the purpose of this exercise was. <laughs> but I mean, are we ever sure? Yeah. So... I think your understanding is correct, or at least it's my understanding. I'm always underwhelmed by the batting order stuff, all the right. kinds of calculations about what would this be worth if you hit him here instead of there. And there have been various little simulators and tools that you could plug stats and players into, and people will reference the book, even though the book is almost 20 years old at this point. but. All of that lineup optimization stuff in there, and there are certain principles and archetypes that you want to structure your lineup in a certain way. So usually it's about making your lineup better, not right. as bad as it can possibly be. Right. And I think if you really tried to stack the deck or unstack the deck, empty the deck, and have it be the worst possible batting order – it might make a meaningful difference there because usually people are talking about optimizing a lineup right. that looks fairly reasonable. Right. Like you're not having your your worst hitter bat lead off. I'm right. sure that's happened at times. But but usually it's like, let's do a little rearranging. Like this is, right. you know, generally okay. You you know who the good players are. It's not the inverse of what it should be. It's not completely backwards. So right. Yeah, when when it's tweaks, it's always just like a few runs a season or something, right. right? But if you were actually trying to make it as bad as it could possibly be, the the gap between the best possible and the absolute worst possible probably yeah, More it meaningful. would be it would be meaningful. I I yeah. assume we would be measuring in wins, not right runs i think right. so but it still it might only be like a few wins or something right. it, it's just it doesn't matter that much it matters more how good the hitters are than what order they're in so right. it, and the reason i think it frustrates people so much when it seems like you're leaving value on the table by not optimizing your order is it just it's free runs it's right. like an unforced error you know it's one thing to commit an error or not be able to hit a pitch i mean it's difficult to do these things but if you're just drawing up a batting order you have all day to do that and you can crunch the numbers and you can right. make it super optimized and then when you don't do that and it feels like you're just leaving some advantage that would be easy to seize, then that's frustrating. But it's right. disproportionately frustrating because right. it also doesn't matter that much. <laughs> it doesn't matter that much. But yeah, yeah, it does feel like, you know, we don't like unforced errors. They feel particularly bad. And so it can be like, what are you doing? Why is Martin Maldonado? He didn't, to be clear, he always was in like the night spot. So I'm not... <laughs> I'm yes, not right. <laughs> alleging gross malpractice here. Yeah, it was that's just, what we're talking about here, though. Maldonado right. would be batting the second or whatever, guy. right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that would be that'd be bad. Like we're yeah. we're talking about maybe he shouldn't be in the lineup at all. But at right. least if he's in there, he's where you would put him <laughs> right. if you had to put him somewhere. Right. 
All right. Question from Andrew, Patreon supporter. This was, I think, from the very end of the regular season because he says, Tonight I was watching the Rockies face the Twins like a sicko when the Twins loaded the bases, albeit with one out, after hitting two home runs to tie it. It got me wondering about Noble Tigers nonetheless. So you know the the Noble Tiger which I think was started on a Tigers Reddit maybe five years ago. And it's no out spaces loaded, ending with team incapable of getting easy run. So oh, it's wow. when you, you load the bases and you you get nothing, right? That's a mouthful. It is, yeah. But Noble Tigers, easier to say. Mm-hmm. So Andrew's wondering about Noble Tigers probably because, he says, of how often my Rockies seem to commit Mm. to them. I came across a conundrum that I'm sure no one else cares about, but I hope you guys would help me figure it out. Say a team hits a home run or scores in some other way with no outs and then proceeds to load the bases. They then continue on to not get the easy run with the bases loaded. Does that count as a noble tiger? While, yes, they did score in that inning, They also proceeded to load the bases and not capitalize on that easy run. So if we go pedantically by the acronym, I'd say, yes, this does count. And we're all about pedantics. After all, it doesn't say no outs, bases loaded, and team didn't already score in the inning. It's just a wide blanket of no outs with the bases loaded. However, the scenario does seem to go against the spirit of the acronym. So I wasn't quite sure what side to take. What say you? So I want to acknowledge that there may be, um, you know, particular local nuances I am not appreciating here, right? Mm -hmm. I would not, you know, I would gladly be overruled by an in-the-know Tigers fan or Rockies fan for that matter. For all I know, I I think the Reddit username is This Means Warm, who who created the Noble Tiger. So maybe they have already ruled on this. Right. And and if so, then we'll, we'll defer to their ruling. But I'm not aware of what that ruling is. I get the sense that this is meant to express like the very particular frustration of coming away with nothing in an inning like this. And so I I don't think that you could apply it to a scenario where there has already been run scoring in the inning, even if that run scoring feels like maybe you didn't get as much as you should have. Um, mm-hmm. I am familiar with that feeling um, from watching, say, the Seattle Mariners. But I think that there is something uniquely frustrating about getting in a situation where it's all in front of you and you, you're you expected in a sort of vacuum to score runs, right? You're, you're looking at the run expectancy table and you're like, we're going to come away with, well, we're not going to come away with fractional runs because that doesn't happen. But, you know, like, we should expect to like score some runs in this inning. And then you come away with nothing. And, you know, not only are you feeling profound disappointment and frustration, but the other fan base is feeling incredible relief, right? They are like, whoo. Yeah. We got we got out of that one, you know, and they are they're looking at each other and they're making the like eyes big face. We're like, well, I can't believe we got out of that one. And they're saying we don't want to see that reliever ever again. You know, like they're they are going through their own set of rituals that are, you know, good to neutral. And you are just sitting there going, I can't believe I can't believe it, especially if it's something that happens a lot because your offense yeah. isn't effective and they're not particularly good at sequencing. You're going to go, I can't believe this happened again. I, these Rockies. So I, I feel like 
that is a very particular emotional state that the thing is trying to capture. And Mm -hmm. if you're like, I can't believe we only scored two runs. It's like, well, you know, there are a lot of games where that's the only run scoring that happens. So count your blessings, maybe. Yep. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You got to get skunked. It's not the same if you you got anything out of that inning, then you won't walk away feeling as frustrated. Have you ever been skunked, Ben? Have you ever been like- Like literally? Yeah, sprayed by a skunk. No, I've mm. uh, certainly passed been by around. their vicinity yeah, and it's not been good. aware of their presence, but yeah. but no. Mm, good. Have you? Well, that's nice. No, I haven't. The skunk is the 17th anniversary, I believe. <laughs> that's. Uh, wait, so Ben, before we do another email, I can't I can't stop thinking about how we got the intro number wrong. So does that mean that I I did the intro two episodes in a row? I don't know. <laughs> because if that if that's the case, then I'd like to revise up my. Um, your responsibility, uh, your yeah. share. <laughs> yes, I think that it. I think that it's closer to fifty-fifty, because, hmm. you know, the idea that I would remember what episode we're on, uh, you know, who could say? And uh, particularly this time of year, where I am like very often sitting around going, Friday. Mm-hmm. Today is Friday, right? Mm-hmm. So like uh, you know, but. We do alternate intros, and um, I, I, you know, that should have made my spidey sense tingle, assuming yeah. that I doubled up. And if so, yeah. I am Got sorry. Bad news for you. I just listened. Did I? You, you double All right. dipped. All right. Yeah. So it's 50 50. It's definitely 50 50. You know, I don't want you to carry more blame than you're actually responsible for. That's not fair. It's very gracious of you. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm sure something. Nathan says, if we say most playoff games are close to a coin flip and there's a lot of randomness, here's a very bad idea disguised as a thought experiment. <laughs> <laughs> what if in each league, the lowest seeded wild card were eliminated and replaced by a randomly selected non-playoff team oh. chosen after the last game of the season is played? How frequently would one of these playoff lottery teams win the World Series? What other implications Mm. would there be during the regular season if everybody on the bubble and outside of the bubble knew there was a remote chance that they would have a whack at the playoffs? So Nathan has has chosen violence here, as they say, I guess, right? Because everyone is is up in arms about uh, an 84-win team that's been outscored on the season, a wildcard team winning the World Series or winning a pennant at the very minimum. And mm-hmm. Nathan is saying, what if we kick them out and, and put an even less deserving team in there? How would everyone feel about that? Probably bad, I would, I would imagine. Nathan has... Speaking of those Diamondbacks, himself embraced chaos. Mm-hmm. I think it would, how often they would win, sort of my my instincts around that would would depend a great deal on sort of what the parameters for their selection was, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if it could be anyone, if it could be anyone, if it could be literally the Rockies or literally the Oakland A's, um, then, you know, again, it's not that those teams can't beat good teams in a five or seven game series. That can happen. That happens during the year. But like my my base expectation of it would be different than say, you know, if we're limiting it to teams that were say within two or three wins of the last wild card in each league, right? Like mm-hmm. that kind of changes my expectation of what they might be able to muster. Uh, in a given series. And again, that doesn't mean that they couldn't advance. We were sideswiped by these Diamondbacks, uh, in part because they run so fast, you know. Mm-hmm. But 
it's not as if like the A's somehow snuck in and then they are in the World Series. That would be even within a field that has a great deal of sort of noise, variance, chaos, uh, <laughs> would be quite surprising, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I right. think a lot comes down to like how, who gets to be in the, you know, the spinning wheel where you pull the ball out and it's like, oh my God, the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> I would I would not support this as a, a mechanism because we are already suspicious of the third wild card and what the, you know, potential for being an 84 win team that makes it into the postseason does to sort of the want of um, teams that are sort of occupying that middle tier. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you could just get bounced entirely, well then, yeah. you know, maybe it's just like returning to the, to the prior playoff format, but, <laughs> but worse, you know, but worse. Yeah. No, it's definitely worse. Oh, yeah, That's, worse. I'm sure of that much. Yeah, yeah confident. I'm, I'm thinking of everything in terms of what I've been watching and playing this week. I've been playing and I, I podcasted about Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Mm. And the gimmick of that game is that there's this wonder flower, which is basically like some psychedelic of some sort. And Mario just starts tripping balls or whoever you're playing when you find the wonder flower in the level. And it just changes everything. And it's just this this wild card, basically, that's thrown into the mix. Except in this scenario, we're talking about throwing the wild card out of the yeah. mix but it's it's kind of whimsical and wacky and it's like whoa the level just looks completely different now so in a way throwing the a's in there would be like adding the wonder flower to the mlb playoffs and it's just like whoa this is wacky this is way out there suddenly the worst team is in the playoffs yeah. this is very different right. because it would be more deflating in a way yes what if you had a hard-fought battle yeah for the wild card yeah well, would you even? Because you wouldn't right. want to win it, right? right? Winning it is your ticket out of the playoffs, yeah. paradoxically here. So you'd be fighting not to win. I mean, that's going right. to be the big problem because right. you're going to have tanking of right. of a NBA kind, right? Of right. like a, not just being a bad team, but like actively trying to lose games right. potentially, right? Yeah. And that'll screw with everything. I think so, it would be catastrophic. Yeah. Because I was thinking, what if you had a, a battle down to the wire and then one team wins and then the other team that, that lost gets to hop into that place and renders the entire battle meaningless, but then they would know that that, that race was going to be meaningless and they wouldn't want to win the race. Right. And then every team would be trying to be bad and that would be very bad. That would be very bad. bad. <laughs> All the teams being bad would be bad. Yes. So... I think this is a truly terrible idea, Nathan. I think, yeah, I think it would be catastrophic to the sport. So that's something. Yeah. Now, what if it weren't the lowest seeded team? What if it weren't the wild card? What if it were a randomly selected playoff team? So you'd still have to fight to make it in, but you would know, you know, it'd be like a Hunger Games scenario. Like, you know your number comes up like one of those teams in the field the odds are ever in your favor still that it's not going to be you right but but it will be one of those teams and so that would not cause you to be bad on purpose 
because uh, you're still likely not to be the team that gets sniped out of the playoffs here. But but one team does. So all the teams would still be fighting for their playoff berth. But then once you got it, one of those teams would have it snatched away right. for an entirely undeserving team. What is the the benefit of this? Right. <laughs> that's, so, so that's the question. Just, yeah. So I was going to say a couple of things. The first of which is it might not inspire you to be actively bad but it also might diminish your desire to be as good as possible yeah, because okay. you, you've got an 11 out of 12 chance to retain the playoff spot that you fought so hard well for. but are is it the entire field or is it one in each, one in each league, league. Mm. Mm, so there's that but also i don't quite understand the purpose of this we already have a hunger games like tournament it's the postseason. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if the point of this is to prove that baseball is random and anyone can win, I think so stipulated, right? Right. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think we've For all sure. we've all accepted that. So so that would be an even starker illustration right. of it. And yeah, it would be tough for like the A's are not going to win it. I mean, it's not impossible, of course. No. Uh, they won seven in a row, right? But they could but win not likely. 11 in a row, I guess, but, but right. or not even in a row. Right. It doesn't have to be in a row, but but they'd all be against good teams. Right. It is pretty vanishingly unlikely that they would do that. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. It would be the, the ultimate just F you to predictive power of anything, I guess, if this team got to jump the line and win. I wonder whether – would people root for this team? Do you think like no. the, the fans of, of non-playoff teams would be like – Oh, they're our champion. They're no. the, the they're no. the the last hope for the losers bracket, basically. And no. they would <laughs> bend no. behind. No, okay. No, I think that that baseball fans would find this like fundamentally offensive. Yeah. Um, because it's if I've learned nothing over the last, uh, if I've learned anything. I don't know what I'm trying to <laughs> I feel very awake right now, so I don't know what's going on with me, Ben. But, I know you've um, learned English. You're, you're quite proficient at it, generally. I mean, some days more than others, <laughs> apparently. Um, if I've learned anything over the last couple of weeks in terms of how people have reacted to the D-backs of it all and even the Rangers of it all, it's that we don't like that the postseason reflects something different than the regular season did. On average, fans want this to be the best versus the best. That is like the default assumption that like something is is fundamentally wrong. We have to change the format, right? And the reason we have to do that is because the teams that are in it are not the best clubs. And so I think that if this happened, there would be riots. Like it would be destabilizing to the sport. I think that people would demand that Manfred resign. I think that they would mm -hmm. they would abandon baseball. Yeah. They would say shake the very fabric, the the foundation of yeah. the sport. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be like, look, the NBA is back. There's football and there's so much stuff on streaming. And I'd rather watch any of that than watch this pretender team mm -hmm. try to advance through the postseason. So, you know, I got that's what I that's what I think. Um, mm -hmm. Man, I would be we would we would talk about it so much. We would we would wear ourselves out talking about how offensive it is. We would be. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I'm worked up and it's not even a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Question from Ross. 
who says, I have a wacky hypothetical for you. Well, get in line, Russ. <laughs> Teams are allowed to strategically place up to three full-size trampolines anywhere on their home field at the beginning of the season. The trampolines are field level and camouflaged, so only the home players know where they are at the start of the season. Oh, no. Where are the most strategic locations to place the trampolines? Would any teams opt out of trampolines? My apologies if this has been posed before. (laughs) 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 Got to allow the possibility, I suppose, that it had been. I love our podcast, man, because people are like, this seems like the kind of, excuse my swear, weird shit they would have contemplated before now. Oh, yeah. They've definitely done this one. Yeah. (laughs) This is so unoriginal of me. Uh, I did some searching on the wiki, Ross says, and see that trampolines were a hot button issue in the Jeff Sullivan era. That is true. Yeah. Hopefully this is a new spin on a controversial topic. Yeah, I I think it is because this never would have been admitted to a a Jeff episode. He, He would have struck this down immediately. He would have said no way, no how, no trampolines anywhere because his position was and is, I believe, that they are death traps, essentially. Yeah. So, so I'm sure that Jeff would say that all teams should opt out immediately because he has had personal experience of being injured at trampoline parks and seeing people injured at trampoline parks. And I'm sure that he would not want a ballpark to turn into a trampoline park. Right. So is there a strategic location that would outweigh the injury risk that would help you enough that it would be worthwhile. One thing I'm struggling with is, so it's camouflage, so so only the home players know where they are at the start of the season. But Right, but does it move? Yeah, does it move? Is right. it, like, can you put it in a different place each game? Because uh, right. once <laughs> once you, you you trample off there, what, is there a verb to, to use a trampoline? Once, I guess it's trampoline. But once you do that, then everyone will know where it is, right? <laughs> so so I don't know what the, the strategic advantage there is. But I guess you would probably just want to put it on the warning track or something, right? So that you could more easily rob home runs or just jump higher and catch balls before they become home runs. Like, is there... Uh, what else? You know, I guess... I mean, if you put one on a baseline or something so that you could trampoline over someone who is trying to tag you, but that definitely sounds like you would die. Oh, yeah. So there would there would be limbs broken. Appendages would be sacrificed for the yeah. safe sign there. So what else? Like, I mean, the mound. Yeah. Right. Or that like- isn't. There's a, right. Isn't there a like a Japanese uh, clip of, of a pitcher on a trampoline throwing a Barry Bonds? One of those oh, things that's know. always going around. But I mean, yeah, if you could, if you could throw off a trampoline, it probably wouldn't really help you. I was thinking the mound being higher helps you, right? But if you're trampolining higher, you're not going to be able. To, you can't push off, right? You're not going to be able to generate enough force i don't think if you can go high enough on the trampoline that you're just like throwing at an extreme angle maybe (laughs) so depends on the capabilities of the trampoline perhaps yeah and like would you put it near (laughs) 
would you like put it in the base path on the way to home plate in the hopes that somebody yeah, that's like what I was thinking so you could just vault springs. over or yeah or yeah someone just be catapulted out of the baseline entirely or <laughs> but but they would know it's there unless After, you can move it around right yeah yeah and like the thing is you would know if you put it somewhere like that in theory they might find out not just after the first game, but like in the first game, they'd be like, "Did you guys see that? Was that weird? Is the ground weird there? Yeah. Is it weird?" Yeah. Oh, man, I think you would end up with some weird, twisty ankles and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I don't mm. know. Don't do this. Terrible idea. Bad idea. No, I don't think you would want to do this unless unless you can place them in the paths of your opponents. But that seems unsporting, <laughs> yeah. unsportsmanlike. Incredibly. So. Yeah, but you would probably just want to put it where you could get more air to stop a ball from being a home run, right? Oh, that uh, seems like an obvious solution, but... So you're viewing it as... I love how you're viewing it as like an opportunity to gain an advantage. And I'm worried about people putting it in a place where they could like flummox an opposing base yeah, runner. Yeah, you're thinking of it as sabotage, basically. Yeah, I am. Maybe this betrays something about our respective personalities. <laughs> Worried about that. Yeah, you're thinking of this as the pit, basically. Like, where right. would you put the pit? Right. This is this is the opposite of a pit in that it propels you upward instead of being something that you fall into. But I guess it would be potentially equally disruptive and and right. injurious to your person. So, yeah, where else is it good to to jump and jump vertically specifically? I guess it doesn't have to be a vertical jump. You could right. kind of launch yourself. And and teams have trampolines like at their facilities. You sometimes see them doing drills yeah. and stuff with trampolines. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, is there, like would having a trampoline at the plate be of any use to you if you were batting if you were catching mm. i can't imagine i don't know probably not probably not <laughs> that's I what i that, keep coming back to probably not i mean what if there were it's just like the odds of it going to any particular place in the park are so small right but maybe you would benefit from being able to have a trampoline somewhere in foul territory and like spring up to get a ball like as a you know if you're the fielding team and it's a problem and you're like oh i can spring and grab it mm -hmm. maybe maybe like it could help you like propel into the net in a way that would be mm -hmm. useful and you're like spider-manning it over yeah. there instead of in the, the outfield yeah um, maybe Maybe, but in the outfield, you have the potential to, like, snare a run as opposed to just getting an out, which is, like, you know, if you're picking between spots, you want the spot where you can get the run, I guess. Mm -hmm. Make the whole warning track a giant trampoline, you know? <laughs> There's nothing about yeah. the size of the trampoline, Ben. Like, don't say – don't limit yourself, you know? True. The whole make field the whole, could be a trampoline. Make the yeah, whole field out of trampoline. Build oh the my whole God. plane out of the trampoline. Every, yeah. Everybody would just end up – like in the middle, <laughs> you know, like when you're on yeah. a trampoline and everybody just ends up kind of congregating in the center. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know if it would even be, you might just trampoline right into a wall if it were the warning right. track or, or over the wall. Yeah. This, this mm. seems dangerous. Okay. Seems Ryan. Like a bad idea. Patreon supporter says, I'm sure you two saw Jose Abreu tagged out Marcus Semyon in game four of the LCS by touching Semyon's batting glove that was hanging out from his back pocket. 
I didn't know the batting glove there counted as a mm. part of the body. This yeah. makes me wonder, what if a first baseman discreetly places some light-weighted but long stuff, like a tail from stuffed animals, in the runner's back pocket so that the fielders have a more extended area to tag out the runner how long would it take for the runner and base coaches to realize what's going on in this situation? I'm pretty sure this is against the rule and morally wrong, but is there a section in the rulebook to prevent this? More seriously, why do some players put their batting gloves in their back pocket? Isn't it disadvantageous, as in this case? Well, yeah, certainly in this case yeah. it was. So, yeah, you can't play pin the tail on the runner and then just tag them there, right? Because the rule, I believe... And you know the rules better than I do, but I found a CBS Sports explainer that has the relevant rules that I will link to. It's the the tag rule, and then there's a, a note that says touch to touch a player or umpire is to touch any part of his body. This sounds very tender, very mm. sensual. Tender. Or or any uniform or equipment worn by him, but not any jewelry, necklaces, mm. bracelets, etc., worn by the player. And then it says, touch comment. Equipment shall be considered worn by a player or umpire if it is in contact with its intended place on his person. So that's, I think, a, a key phrase there, intended place. So right. it has to be the player's intent, not your intent to place right. something on the player. Right. <laughs> it can't be you stuck a sign on their back to, to make fun of them. So if they intended to place it there, as Marcus Simeon did with his batting gloves, and it's in contact with that place, then it counts against you, right? And there is a, a parenthetical specifying that the laces on the glove don't count. We've answered that one, right? Because they right. they clarified that in 2016 because there were some replay overturns that just touched the laces. And I didn't even know about the jewelry, I don't think, but yeah. But yeah, jewelry doesn't count, but a batting glove is not jewelry. It's it's not your uniform. It's, right. it's equipment, but when it's in your pocket, it uh, it counts, right? So, so yeah, I guess there's also uh, oh, okay. So MLB actually has a clarification on this in the umpire manual rule interpretation for touch. <laughs> <laughs> Interpretation for touch is like a good band name. Oh yeah, it actually is. Yeah. yeah. This is this is like when I was talking about how you know, physically we we can't ever touch anything. You you never right. actually come into contact with with anything because of the, right, the nerd. subatomic forces uh, that are involved, but that's not what the umpire's manual is clarifying here. I don't think the umpire's manual is saying Regarding the definition of a touch, equipment intentionally placed somewhere by a player should be considered worn in its intended place. And then it actually says, example, batting gloves placed in a player's back pocket are in the intended place on his person, which suggests to me that maybe this has happened before. Yeah, <laughs> so they just probably. got ahead of it and, and clarified that. Yeah. I think mm. Semyon said that this had never happened to him before, yeah. which which makes sense. <laughs> yes. Or he probably would have stopped doing this and then he did it he did it again in he put like, him right back there yeah he put him right not maybe in that game but like there was a shot of him in one of the subsequent games he he reached first i can't remember if he how he reached but he reached for space and he tucked him he tucked him in there and for a while one of his pockets was like inside out and hanging out so like huh. he seems unconcerned 
Yeah. And I I am surprised by that just given how in general I don't know if, uh, how this applies to him in particular but in general they're such a superstitious bunch that you'd probably yeah. be like, "Well, I can't do that again." I mean, he's been playing baseball for a long time. He's yeah. 33 years old and this has never happened to him. And right. so he probably just feels like lightning won't strike twice on right. the same batting glove. Yeah. But 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 why take the chance, I guess, it right? Cuz what yeah. What is the advantage of putting it in your back pocket instead of just handing it to the first base coach right. or, or someone? Like, why? Yeah. It, it, it slows you down infinitesimally. Right. And it, it provides a bigger target for you to right. be tagged on. It's very, very rarely going to make any difference. I didn't yeah. really remember any other specific time that this happened, though I'm sure it has. But it's it's so rare that it doesn't really matter. But right. also... Why do it, I guess, especially if, if you got burned by it once, yeah. I'd probably be like, okay, I learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would be reticent to to repeat. All right. Well, maybe he's just, he likes living on the edge. Maybe yeah. he's just daring the universe to make this happen to him again. Maybe. Mm. All right. Question from Jameson. If Aaron Judge or Otani or Mookie or one of MLB's other top sluggers decided that their only goal for the 2024 season was to break Barry Bonds' single-season home run record, team mm. success, and a well-rounded approach to hitting be damned, could they do it? Jameson says, I figure the biggest barrier to it is health, but Otani has the perfect opportunity next season to solely DH, and if Judge told the Yankees that he would play only if he could DH— that would be solvable. Maybe the fact that they're pressing, selling out to hit dingers would pose an issue, as it seemed to when Judge got close to Maris. Sure. But early in the season, no one would care or notice. And late in the season, people would see their pace and maybe start to believe it was possible. What if Otani's devotion was so extreme that he signed a one-year deal with the Rockies to reap the benefits, of course? <laughs> Oh, now I want that to happen. I mean, I don't because I want Otani in the postseason and I'm realistic, but it would be fun. It would be fun to have him just hitting at mile high for an entire season. I mean, I feel like the odds are, I don't know, low, like quite low. Seems like they, they're very low. I I imagine that, you know, they're not probably putting it in exactly these terms, but a lot of guys are trying to hit home runs now. And, you know, how many of them have done it the way yeah. Bonds has? You know, none, none of them. The answer is not zero. And, you know, Judge is probably an instructive case here because he was very successful as a home run hitter in the year that he, you know, broke the AL side of things and was pretty healthy, right? Like my my memory of his... Geez, that was so recently, and I can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he had, you know, he had 696 plate appearances in 2022. And I imagine that, like, you know, they were like, we're really going to get you a bunch of plate appearances, buddy, because um, you're, you're going to hit some, you're hitting some dingers. <laughs> but, like, he was super healthy, a very good power hitter, just an excellent hitter overall in that season. We still aren't quite, in my opinion, I get that the home runs are the the headline, but he had a 209 WRC plus, Ben. He had a 209 WRC plus in that year. Yeah. That should be the headline of that mm -hmm. season. I know why it's not, but it should be because like, whoa, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and he couldn't do it, you know, and by like a lot. He couldn't yeah. do it by a lot. You know, he wasn't only trying to hit home runs, but right. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that 
How much daylight do you think there is in terms of the differences in approach between like, I'm just trying to be the very best hitter I possibly can be, and I'm trying to break this home run record. I don't know that yeah. those are like completely distinct approaches at the plate, I guess is the point that I'm trying to make, you know? Yeah, right. If you go up there and you say, I'm the kid who only hit homers and that's all I want to do, then players always say that they usually are not trying to hit a home right. run and that maybe it's even counterproductive if they do right. try to. I don't know if they're always being entirely truthful about that. There are sure. certainly sometimes when it seems like they're jumping out of their shoes. But, but you know, that saw a fat pitch. They didn't necessarily go up there saying that's what I'm going to do. And, yeah, they're always, you know, as the cliche says, looking for a good pitch to hit, yep. trying to put a good swing on it, yep. you know. So, so I guess that depending on the situation, you might moderate your power swing because there is a balance sure. between power and contact, of yeah. course. So I think there's some guys where it might not make that much of a difference. And there are other guys who probably do really have kind of a hybrid swing or contact-oriented right. swing, and they're trying to find some happy medium. And so if you said, no, no happy medium, just the extreme, just sell out. But the thing is that pitchers would immediately know that you were doing that or not right. immediately but but pretty qu quick qu quite quickly right yeah. and then they would be able to exploit that i assume that i don't know if your plate discipline is eroding here but but in theory you're just you're coming out of your shoes every time right you're just right. swinging as hard as you can i guess is is the theory of what you would be doing here and if you're doing that then you're necessarily going to sacrifice some bat control and right. you might have to start your swing sooner and you're probably right. going to end up chasing more yeah. often. So, I, yeah, I don't know that you would hit any more homers. <laughs> you might hit fewer than you would yeah. otherwise, but I don't know for sure. I'm sure there are times when a, a player is like reminding themselves, hey, don't get over eager here. Don't swing right. for the fences. Right. Although... These days, most players, they swing for the fences they quite swing, often. They swing pretty hard, yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty rewarding to swing for the fences, even with yeah. the ball a little bit deader than it used to be. It's still fairly lively in a historical sense. So it does not have ennui. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It has it has a little more than it did recently, but, but not in the grand scheme of things. So... Yeah, I don't think you could do it. I, I, don't, I don't think, think you it, could do it. You could it. just set your mind to it. Because the idea is, is that, like, because yeah, you'd be bad, right? Like, you'd only ever hit a home run or pop up or strike out. Or right. maybe you'd hit one off the end of the bat by accident and get a squibber at some point. But but it, this would be the definition of all or nothing. So, yeah. so you'd probably not be very good. And unless your team was on board with right. this quest of yours. Which maybe the Rockies would be. Maybe, maybe. So if they were okay with it for promotional purposes, then they'd keep running you out there. But otherwise, I think it would be seen as a somewhat selfish thing to do because it would yeah, be. Yeah, it would be. Yep. <laughs> and you would be benched. Yep. So you'd have to make it look good. You'd have to make it look like you were just going through a slump that was within the realm of actual possibility. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I don't think you can just set your mind to it and say, I will hit that many home runs. I think you might end up hitting fewer potentially. Yeah, I think that if you could do it, if it were as simple as that, 
it would have happened already. You know, because like Judge was like 20 home runs off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) More than that, right? I mean, Barry Bonds hit a lot of home runs that year. He so. had so many home runs. It was so many. Mm. Yeah. And 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 Bonds did that without sacrificing anything. I mean, right. he had 73 and <laughs> had a 515 on base percentage. And oh, that's right. Was, 73. Why did, I have 80, why did I have 83 in my brain? <laughs> it was still a lot. Yeah. But what he, did my brain just do? Man, Ben, I don't yeah. know. Don't know about Megan this episode. I'm Megan, in the slipstream. Megan numbers, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but so Bonds didn't have to sell out for power to do that. He was still an amazing all-around hitter, but there was only one Barry Bonds, and you know yeah. why, right? So I, I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think this would be easier said than done, and I don't know if... if Anyone's thinking it's easy, but it's easily said. It's well, there's there's more done. than one Barry Bonds because there's the slipstream Barry Bonds. Here. True, I'm sure there are probably plenty of people named Barry Bonds, but yeah, a few probably. others would be incapable of hitting that many home runs. All right, Dan says, I hope that you're both doing well and are enjoying the stretch run. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we we did enjoy the stretch run. You know, yeah. sometimes it takes us a while to get to these. Although I do not stretch before I run, just to clarify. <sighs> I found your conversation regarding Anthony Rendon and his many quotes to be incredibly fascinating. This was going back a bit, right? I yeah. did a, a whole segment on my fascination with Anthony Rendon and how he's like kind of trolling yeah. and also is uh, sort of a pain and he goes way out of his way to not give writers what they want at times. But also, I sort of sympathize with him and his attitudes about baseball and about how maybe it's not the most important thing in the world. And he kind of puts it in perspective. And then that opens him up to being criticized when he is hurt and doesn't play. And it seems like perhaps he is not doing his his best, his utmost to get back on the field because he has said at other times that it's not the most important thing in the world to him, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I agreed with many of the things that he says, if not always the the way that he says them or the timing or the way he puts that all into practice. And Dan says, I found myself thinking along the same lines as Ben, understanding what Rendon was saying about how he liked baseball, but it just wasn't the most important thing in the world to him. What I kept thinking to myself was that I do believe he likes baseball, but that he doesn't like major league baseball. I found myself listening to his quotes and heard someone yearning for the times when he did enjoy baseball, maybe playing catch in the backyard or playing on his youth travel ball team. And and he did say that he loves baseball and he likes playing baseball. But it seems that he likes the game itself, Dan says, but the parts that go along with being a major league player, the fame, answering questions, the feeling that everything he does on the field is the most important thing ever, etc., or that people are interpreting it that way, are what he really has a problem with. And that, I think, is consistent with most of his quotes. He's like, hey, I'm good at playing baseball, but that doesn't make me so special compared to everyone else in the world. So why do you want to know what I think? And why do I have to do all this media stuff? So Dan says, I understand why so many people believe he doesn't like baseball, but my feeling is that he just doesn't like all that comes with being in the major leagues. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the difference between liking baseball and liking major league baseball. 
Well, we describe ourselves as a baseball podcast, not a major league baseball podcast. Obviously, we talk overwhelmingly the most about major league baseball, yeah. but we want to leave an opening to talk about any incarnation of baseball, any level of baseball, professional, amateur, international, wherever it is. We've certainly devoted lots of banter and lots of interviews and lots of episodes to other ways to baseball. And I think we're generally fine with uh, any way that you love and come to the sport and find fulfillment in it. There's no wrong way to love baseball, I think, is something we said. And the only rule is it has to work. So... Yeah, I think I could imagine being gifted enough to be a big leaguer and not wanting everything that goes with it. Mm -hmm. Maybe wanting some of those things, but a lot of those things would be a pain. <laughs> maybe you just like playing baseball, but you don't want to be a big public figure. Or maybe you don't want the pressure that comes with a massive salary. Or maybe you don't want to play in front of a huge crowd or whatever it is. Or maybe you, you don't want to travel constantly around the world and not be home with your family. I think there are probably a, a lot of cases like that. And we've talked about some players who had the talent, but but not the, I don't want to say drive, because I, I don't want to make it sound derogatory, but just they didn't have the baseball bug the way that some others did, or maybe they had other issues going on in their lives that interfered with their enjoyment of Major League Baseball. So I could absolutely see how you might get to that level. And, you know, there are plenty of perks that, that you might welcome and be happy to have. But there are probably also some things that go along with that that you kind of do pine for when things were simpler and lower stakes. I think that being famous would be terrible. Um, yeah. I could see you know, maybe not to the point that it isn't tolerable to be a big leaguer because it does have so much to recommend. <laughs> yes. um, so, you know, I, I don't know that there are very many people who would be like, I want to quit because of all of this other stuff that isn't the baseball part of it. But mm -hmm. I could see it becoming very taxing and trying, you know, it's like, the travel is constant and people are, you know, often happy with you, but often mad at you. They have sort of unprecedented access to relay that frustration. So like that piece of it, I bet feels not good all the time. I think, you know, one of the things about baseball that probably does set it apart from other sports in terms of its palatability once you're a major leaguer is that like you do get to be fairly anonymous away from the ballpark. Mm -hmm. Um, and I imagine that because of that, some of the stuff that these guys deal with on like social media probably feels intrusive in a, in a new way relative to, you know, like if you're LeBron, like you can't go anywhere without people being like, that's LeBron James, you know, mm -hmm. whereas, uh, you know, with the exception of a yes, couple of guys. Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> right. You, yeah, you're always right. the object of attention. Right. But with the exception of a couple of guys, I imagine that like most baseball players are able to pass through 
non-ballpark spaces fairly anonymously, mm-hmm. um, especially because a lot of them don't live in the cities they play in in the offseason, um, mm-hmm. which probably yeah. helps, you know. There have been times when baseball players have been anonymous in ballpark spaces, like right. Zach Greinke just sitting in the stands at a game right. or something. You know, you put a cap and some sunglasses right. on, you might not get noticed. And so, like, I, I think that you probably could be at a remove from it, but, you know, I don't struggle to imagine it whatever level of attention you're getting still being like taxing and terrible. So mm-hmm. I, I could see you being like, yeah, I don't love that. And like the, the embodiment of major league baseball from the league perspective is like an entity that is openly antagonistic to players at times. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might have a relationship to the literal league that is like not the best. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can see it. You can have the best job. You can have a job that you love so, so much. But there's still going to be parts of it that, like, aren't the best because that's the human experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and even when you're doing the stuff that you really love about it, you can still feel tired or worn out or whatever. So, you know, that isn't to say that you aren't still in general, like, stoked on it or that you might um, – that you don't feel, like, lucky that that's the thing you get to do in exchange for – you know, U.S. currency, but, um, you know, it's not always the best. So yeah. that's fine. Yeah, there are so many ways to like baseball and experience baseball without having that be through the lens of Major League Baseball. I think for many people, most people who love baseball in the United States, at least, they're probably at least tangentially interested in Major League Baseball. But if you just like playing it, right. that doesn't obligate you to care about who's winning the league there are a lot of things i do that i'm not familiar with the best people who do that or the highest level league or i don't watch it or experience it competitively which i didn't even really like to do when i was a kid and i like playing baseball just casually just you know go out with my friends and throw the ball around and hit each other balls to field and just you know kind of have fun without even having it be an organized wave of playing. So there's that, or you could get into the history or all the cultural aspects or the significance to American culture and every, you know, international place that has some baseball presence. So there are very many people who love baseball as much as anyone and, and don't pay that close attention sure. to Major League Baseball. So yeah, there's like totally. an infinite number of ways to to like baseball without necessarily liking Major League Baseball. But yeah, I think most people, if they have the talent, would aspire to be in yeah. that league because the rewards are the greatest, certainly right. the monetary rewards. And also, if you are an extremely competitive person, and many of right. these professional athletes are, then you want to be the best or test yourself against the best. Yeah, yeah. All right. This one comes from Kyle, who says, add me to the list of listeners emailing while high, but I would not categorize this as a purely drug-fueled <laughs> inquisition. I was reading about the KBO in David Lorela's Sunday Notes and recalled that the league, this is the Korean baseball organization, has been compared in terms of talent level to stateside AA baseball. My memory somehow fails me right now in specifics, but there have been decent mid-level contracts given to free agents from KBO, but nothing exorbitant. My question is, if every player who finished the minor league baseball season in AA automatically became a free agent, what do you think the salary scale would look like for those players? 
upper tier prospects, mid-level prospects, comparable to KBO free agents, higher or lower? How much difference does it make money-wise that these are players, teams, scouts have seen way more times and presumably are more confident in their evaluations? How much would the top-rated prospect in AA go for? At least $100 million total, right? More or less? So I guess Kyle is asking if KBO, if, if the highest level league in Korea is AA level, and you would spend some exorbitant amount on a free agent double A prospect, right? If mm-hmm. uh, some some great double A prospect were suddenly available to the highest bidder, then they could command an enormous amount of money. So why isn't that the case for Korea if the caliber of play is as high there, right, in general, as in double A, let's say? I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I think one important consideration is probably average age. Yeah. Uh, so when players come over from the KBO, I think that they are probably, it depends on the guy, right? But like a lot of them, because of the restrictions around age and signing and stuff are going to be older than your average double-A guy. And so you as a team might be like um, paying for years of less, in theory, Mm -hmm. might be paying for years of less prime production. I think that some of it is probably like, (sighs) do I think that this is true? I was going to say like, how much of it do we think is about what you are seeing in terms of on the hitting side and maybe on the pitching side too, both the velocity you're seeing and the velocity you're throwing even at double a, um, is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. I think probably a big part of it is just the projectability, right? Because you could have a top prospect in double a who is currently, as productive as a player, let's say an average player right. in KBO, if that's a double A level league, right. but but you expect the double A guy that's a prospect, right? Like, right. I mean, you could have an org guy in double right. A who's not going to command an enormous amount of money, no. but is a double A caliber player. So it's right. it's all about what do you think they can be what do they project to be physically talent wise it's uh, certainly possible that scouts and teams are still underrating players in korea and there have been many fine players to have come out of there and we'll see we'll see what jung ho lee goes for when, when he's posted but yeah i would guess you can have a high caliber of competition but just not a lot of ceiling right there. yeah and and a scout is going to be paying for the ceiling because right. uh, if your ceiling is double a then right. they don't want you right <laughs> so yeah. but i do think that and we've talked about this both in terms of i mean i think more specifically we've talked about it in the context of players coming from npb but i do think that we need to and by we i mostly mean the public side and fans like we are probably at this point not quite properly calibrated in terms of the quality of play uh mm-hmm. over there like you know we we throw around quad a for npb um and there's something to that i guess but i think the quality of that league is pretty high and we should probably adjust our prior up on it so yeah and yeah there might be 
like a level of competition that is that caliber, but the skills might not translate or they might sure. be perceived not to be as transferable. Right. And yeah, it's been a theme on the podcast, like, hey, look at how all the NPB stars are really good at Major League Baseball too, yeah. <laughs> even if yeah. maybe they had to acclimate to the league. Sure. And KBO players too, of course, yeah. having fantastic seasons <laughs> this yeah. year. So, yeah. so sometimes, yeah, it's a language barrier and a culture barrier and also just a different ball and a different yeah. style of play and yeah. different speed and everything's different. And so yep. not that Hassan Kim was bad when he first came over, but, you know, give him a little time to yeah. to get used to it. And yeah, suddenly yeah, he's a star. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Last one. This comes from Stephen, who says, a basketball podcast I listened to mentioned Roger Clemens at the end of his career signing midseason and only playing a half season. So would this be the optimal way to get Clayton Kershaw through his last season or two or however long he has should he want to come back if both he and the Dodgers are prioritizing postseason health and success? Hmm. I figure this is a half-baked idea with consequences I'm not thinking about. So, so he's saying – I guess he's saying – Maybe we could, instead of having Clayton Kershaw be hurt and diminished in the second half of the year, we could just have him rest for the first part of the season, and then he won't be so worn down by the time we get to the end of the season. Maybe this would be a way to enable him to play at the high level that he's capable of without breaking down, potentially, because, yeah, Clemens did that at the very tail end where he right. had just a very limited list of teams that he would go to and they had to meet his price. And then if they did, he would warm up and he would be ready by a certain point in the season. And he had a special arrangement where he didn't have to be around the team all the time. And it was... I shouldn't say shot in the arm when it comes to Roger Clemens, probably. <laughs> I don't know where he was taking shots, but... but it was, you know, a boost uh, when when Roger Clemens shows up in George's box, right? That was an exciting moment. So to get a, a reinforcement like that, the cavalry arrives midseason and it's some legend like that. So if that were Clayton Kershaw, if he were willing to entertain that, is that something that might work for him, do you think? Maybe. I mean, like, I think that there's a... You know, there's a difference between managing sort of general fatigue versus injury proclivity that is probably important to our understanding of how well this would work. Because, like, you could, like, let's say that you could sort of figure out the right program for him. So you know when to start building him up so that he is able to go in the postseason. He gets some amount of acclimation to seeing big league quality hitters. Like, he could just wake up one day and his back is screwed up and, like, we're done, right? So, mm -hmm. like, there is a piece of it that is unpredictable just because of the nature of some of the stuff that has gotten in Kershaw's way in the last couple of years. Like, it's not just generalized fatigue, right? Like, sometimes his shoulder is screwed up, like, right now. Or his back is weird or whatever. It's not just innings. But you could probably design a program to manage the innings piece. I wonder what Kershaw's appetite for something like this would be, though. Because, like, mm -hmm. he doesn't strike me as the kind who's, like... Yeah, I'll sit out half the year. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, he's taken his time to 
see how his body feels and how he's feeling, but but not that much time. So, yeah, he is quite competitive. Rich Hill was, at least for a while, saying that he was entertaining the notion of doing this in 2024, of just playing a half season because it's uh, less hard on his uh, 40-year-old bones, right? So I could see it work, maybe. I could also see it potentially backfire. Like, I was just writing something about Mick Jagger and how Mick Jagger sounds incredibly impressive still. Mm. And one reason is that he is kind of constantly gyrating <laughs> and dancing and singing wherever he goes. So, like, there is kind of a use it or lose it aspect to the voice, I think, at least at that age, or a lot of people say that and, and think that, that maybe there's some atrophying that will happen, you know, like you might think, oh, this is good. I could take some time off, but but then you kind of lose it and maybe your body's like, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. And so I don't need to maintain my instrument in that sense. And so I wonder whether that could happen with a player where they might say, oh, it'd be so restorative and relaxing for me to take a half season off. But then there's so much buildup that had to happen, which was the case with Clemens too. Like he had to go through this, you know, like a whole spring training, basically like after the season had started and then rehab assignments and everything. And I could imagine the older you get, maybe it's like an object at rest, <laughs> remains at rest, maybe. Right. So maybe it, it's harder and harder to shift yourself into gear again if you fall out of the rhythm maybe you just you need that that sense that like oh it's february it's time for me to report oh it's march it's time to start playing games right. oh it's april it's opening day right. and if you fall out of that after having been in it for your entire adult life i could yeah. see that just being so disruptive that it throws you off kilter and suddenly it it's worse for you yeah i mean we saw some some of that following the COVID year, right? Where it's like you're, yeah. or even into the, to the season that we did get in 2020, where it's like, these guys have been thrown completely off their axis. And some of them talked about that being pretty profoundly destabilizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you got to build your arm back up again and all of that and bring yourself back into the, the mindset and the psychology of competing at that level. But maybe like he does kind of consistently break down at some point every year and so it, it I, I see the appeal of like well if he's going to break down at some point could we just backload that I shouldn't say backload because maybe that's the problem but right. but just like delay that time shift the injury <laughs> a little bit maybe if if he starts later then that that breakdown would happen later but the season would be over by then so maybe maybe it would work that way but he'd probably yeah. have to keep himself in shape and have the right routine and be working with the trainers and everything that whole time just to make sure that his baseline was high enough that that he could ramp up again quickly enough yeah well i got my wish i got an extra inning game and it was a good one of course it came during our patreon live stream but hey only a couple extra innings 
which might be a good thing given those two teams' bullpens. Mercifully free of any runners on second base starting the inning. Just a beautiful sight and an exciting game and a comeback walk-off Rangers win 6-5. to five. An excellent start to the series. Adolis Garcia clearly not cooled down by a couple days off. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay ad-free, and get themselves access to some perks. Sarah H., Ryan, Craig Worden, George Boff, and Elnor. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Patreon Discord group, where we just had our wonderful playoff live streams, and where you can talk to your fellow listeners at any hour of the day or night about any topic, but most of all baseball. You also get access to monthly bonus episodes, one of which we'll be recording this weekend, plus discounts on merch and ad-free fangraphs memberships and so much more. Check it all out at patreon.com slash effectivelywild. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can message us through the Patreon site, but anyone and everyone can contact us via email at podcast podcast at fancrafts.com. Send us your questions, send us your comments, send us your intro and outro themes if you're musically inclined. We will add you to our listeners' submitted theme song rotation. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his editing and production assistance. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy some baseball. Next week might get a little hairy because Meg will be covering games in Arizona and I've got some travel too, but we will be back next week as soon as we're able. Talk to you then. If baseball were different, how different would it be? Players growing third arms and infield in the tree. Anything is fair game, even Kike's dirty pants. And maybe if you're lucky, we'll co-call by the chance. Know precisely where it's gonna go by definition, effectively wild.